Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, good morning, everybody. We want to welcome you back again to our Easter celebration, our Resurrection Sunday celebration here at First Baptist Church of Zealand. We're so thankful that you have joined us this day to celebrate the risen Messiah Jesus with us. And so just a couple of things before we launch into our teaching time. Um, The first one is this. Welcome. We are so thankful that you have um, landed here for this day. We do not take that lightly. We also know that God wants to speak to you today. And so we encourage you, wherever you come from in walk of life or background or even the week you've had, would you even at this moment say, God, I want to hear your voice. God, I want to be grounded in your truth. God, I want to be given principles for living today for your honor and for your glory. And uh, trust that the Lord will meet you here. Um, A couple of announcements before we go into a scripture reading and a prayer. Uh, The announcements are this. Um, On Wednesday, we will continue our midweek Bible study gathering that happens at noon via Zoom. If you want to know more about that and have the link for that, at the bottom of our website in the right-hand corner, you'll you'll find a link there where you can easily and quickly sign up for our midweek um, newsletter. And that goes out every Wednesday, and that contains the link for our Bible study gathering. So that's a great way for you to engage during that lunch hour. It meets at 12, goes to about 1240. And we spent some time looking at the scripture. We're looking at Jonah chapter three this week. And um, we also spent some time praying for one another and whatever we have going on in our lives. And so I invite you to join us there. Uh, The next thing is I just want to thank you um, for many of you regular attenders and and guests even who have given uh, and members who have given to help support our mission of knowing Christ to making him known. And we do that a number of different ways. We do that locally here through our ministry, and our ministry has many different arms. We also do that globally with people in Northern Africa and people in the Philippines and people in the States, um, all over the place. We partner with people so that the gospel of Jesus Christ might go forward. And so thank you for doing that. Um, If you have any questions related to that, I know we're still kind of uh, don't have normal business hours. You can still mail in checks. I know we had that question last week, you can also go to our website where there's other information. Feel free to give us a call if you have any questions. We'd love to be able to serve you. Um, the other way that you can get a hold of us is email. Uh, that's our email address, office at fbczealand.org. We will respond to any questions or comments uh, you have. Church office, we do monitor that. And probably the best way to get a hold of us these days is you can call or text the pastor on call. That's uh, Pastor Tom right now, so you'll get him for the next few days here uh, before it switches months, but that's a great way to quickly get a hold of one of the pastors or ministry staff. So um, with that said, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to read uh, these words that come from 1 Corinthians 15. Um, This is a great resurrection passage. This is included in your bulletin. Uh, Your bulletin is available for download right on our live stream page there. And it says this, Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believed to no purpose. 
For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to over 500 brothers at one time, most of whom remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. We serve the Messiah Jesus, who was, was, who died, who was buried, and who rose again. And if we were gathered together this morning, we would say, He is risen. And you would respond with, He is risen indeed. So wherever you are at this morning, we're gonna, that was your practice run. That was kind of the, the, the prep there. Uh, wherever you're at this morning, I'm gonna say, He is risen. And you have no confines of, of loudness. You can go all for it and not feel too ashamed. So, um, He is risen, church. He is risen indeed. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Let us pray. Our Father and our King, we serve a risen Savior. We, we, we serve God, one who did not, did not make us come to you. God, you came to us. You met us in our lowest of lows, in our sin, in our despair, and in our need. You sent your Son, your one and only Son, whom you loved. Jesus, to be our sacrifice, our, our atonement for sin, because God, there is no other way that we can get to you other than through him. And so God, we celebrate on this day and each day because the resurrection reminds us that we have hope. It reminds us that we have life. It reminds us that we have purpose for our lives today. And with that, God, we say we bless you and we thank you, God, for giving us purpose and meaning. We thank you, God, for meeting us here. And God, from wherever we come from this week, we trust our lives into your good, capable sufficient hand. Now, Lord, may you be blessed forevermore. God, may, may our hearts desire to know you and desire to make you known. And God, maybe if this is our first time even hearing the good news of Jesus, Lord, open our hearts through the working of your Holy Spirit to the truth that you have for us this day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning we have a very special opportunity. We have a three-part sermon. Now that does not mean it's going to be three hours long or anything like that, but all three of us pastors, we want to take a crack at Luke 9, and we want to give a little bit of a, of a context, a little bit of a teaching about who Jesus is and why it matters for our lives today. And so I want to invite Pastor Tom to come up here as we celebrate, we dive into Luke chapter 9. So if you don't have your Bibles, join us this morning, Luke chapter 9. Here we go. Well, good morning. It is Resurrection Sunday. We are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But why is that so important? What is it about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes it something that we would want to celebrate? You know, in the Bible, there's at least nine other times when someone was raised from the dead. And you don't have to turn to these, but I'd just like to briefly run over them for you. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 24, Elijah raised the son of the widow of Zarephath from the dead. And then in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 32 to 37, Elisha raised the son of the Shunammite woman. 
In 2 Kings 13, verses 20 and 21, uh, there was a burial party and they threw a body into Elisha's grave and as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, that man was raised from the dead. And then in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, Jesus raised the son of the widow of Nain. In Mark chapter 5, verses 35 to 43, Jesus raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead. And then in John 11, verses 39 to 44, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. In Matthew 27, verses 52 to 53, many godly people were raised from the dead when Jesus died on the cross. In Acts chapter 9, verse 40, Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. And then in Acts 20, verses 9 and 10, Paul raised Eutychus from the dead. So what is so special about Jesus Christ rising from the dead? Why are we celebrating? Why do we have a day set aside to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, but we don't have days to celebrate these other people being raised from the dead? And that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. As we mentioned, we're in Luke chapter 9, and I'd like to start out by reading verses 18 through 20. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 20. And it happened, as he was alone praying, that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say, Elijah. And others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. And so the reason that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ in particular is because of who he is. And in this passage, Jesus put the question of who he is to his disciples. And he's setting up a contrast. And he begins by asking what the crowds say. And of course, the crowds around us have a lot to say about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so uh, let's begin by looking at a video. And this video will show us a little bit of what the crowds say about who Jesus is. Jesus to me is, he's a person. He, I mean, I've been told he's the son of God, but if I don't necessarily believe there is a God, then he may not be the son of God. He's probably just a person who had some messages for people who gave people hope and faith, I suppose, made them believe in themselves and each other. I believe Jesus was a person, um, probably similar to the Islamic belief that Jesus was probably a prophet, um, someone who had a very strong connection to uh, God or a higher spiritual being, but a lot of the New Testament, I believe, is probably more so stories giving us guidance on how we should um, perform and fulfill our lives. I think he was a real person. Um, I'm not sure about the Messiah part, but I think at least he was a prophet and he had some very important things to say. 
and uh, regardless of whether he was real or not, or just how real he was, the lessons that he teaches are extremely important for us to be to be civilized. You know, that's the whole goal with all of the religions and governments and things like that is to make us all more civilized. So we're not killing one another anymore and, and having wars and things like that. We need to learn to get along. And that, um, that's, that would be the thing that makes us different from the rest of the animal world. So we can behave and can get along with one another, help one another, you know, compassion. That's, that really, to me, is the essence of Jesus. I do believe in Jesus, but I don't have a religion because, in my opinion, sorry, it's my opinion, religion for me is a kind of evil business. Because religion puts children against parents, parents against children, the world against the world. If you take the history behind all the wars that you had, the religion was there in somewhere. So I think, in my opinion, you have to say yes to Jesus and don't let the religion take over control of your mind. I think that Jesus came to earth in a man, fig man figuring. And I do believe in him, like, but I think that he's love. On about love, he doesn't judge you like because your color or sexuality or whatever you be. I just think that Jesus is love. I think Jesus was human, and I think I don't know. Maybe for, for my explanation for myself is that he was just a super smart person. I mean, people said he was the healer and everything. I think he had just more answers to questions that other people didn't have. I also think he's he was human, but I think he was like just like really nice and as she said, like really smart and stuff. But I don't think he has nothing like supernatural. I'd have to say Jesus was a good man. Uh, I'm not sure if he was God or not. I can't really compare Jesus to anyone because maybe it's a bit to Gandhi, but that's about it. I can't really compare Jesus to anyone else because he was doing his own thing, you know, his uh, teaching, so to speak. To me, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is, I guess, a character in a story, but it represents something really good, I suppose. I don't doubt that Jesus was actually a person, like he, he lived, but whether he was a Messiah or a son of God or anything, I don't know if I necessarily believe that. Um, but yeah, he represented good things. He gave people faith and I guess that's a good thing. Well, we've seen that the crowds have a lot to say about who Jesus is. And the disciples themselves conducted person-on-the-street interviews to find out who the crowds were saying that Jesus is. And so back in Luke chapter 9, verse 19, it says, So they answered and said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And so the disciples gave three major answers for who the crowds said that Jesus is. And the first answer they gave is that John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And this was, of course, a view that was shared by Herod Antipas. Uh, if you will keep your finger on Luke chapter 9, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 14. And in Matthew 14, verses 1 and 2, it says, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch 
heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead and therefore these powers are at work in him. Well, Mark chapter 6 and verse 20 shows us that Herod Antipas had a high view of who John was. And so in Mark 6.20, it says, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. But when push actually came to shove, then Herod Antipas felt that John the Baptist was expendable. And so he ultimately cut off John's head as a reward to his stepdaughter to um, reward her for a dance routine she had done that he liked. And so uh, one of the views then was, this is John the Baptist, and he's been raised from the dead. Well, back in Luke chapter 9, in verse 19, the second view is that Jesus is Elijah. And, and they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. Now, the key thing to know about Elijah is that Elijah never died. And so if we go back to 2 Kings chapter 2 and look at verse 11, it says, talking about when Elijah and Elisha were walking together, and then it happened as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up, to, up by a whirlwind into heaven. And so Elijah never died, and then the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, prophesied in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, that Elijah would come again before the day of the Lord. And so Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And so as Jesus was uh, walking the earth and doing his miracles, a lot of people wondered, hey, I wonder if this is that Elijah guy that God has sent him back. And then in Luke 9, 19, we can see the third view was that he was an old prophet, Old Testament prophet risen from the dead. So they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And of course, uh, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet, but he would not have been risen again because he never died. And so they had a separate category for Elijah and then all the other Old Testament prophets because they died. Maybe one of them was risen from the dead. So they might have thought, maybe this is Jeremiah, maybe this is Daniel, maybe this is Elisha, maybe um, this is Gad. One of the other Old Testament prophets is risen from the dead. And uh, so they thought maybe it was one of them. But the crowds were wrong. And so in Luke chapter 9 and verse 20, Jesus gave the disciples an opportunity to answer the question for themselves. Just not what all these other people think, but what do you think? And Peter came through then with flying colors. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ 
of God. You know, when the crowds were saying that Jesus was John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the Old Testament prophets, they probably thought that they were saying nice things about Jesus. But Jesus is actually so much greater than all of these others that in a way they were insulting him. Even John the Baptist confessed in uh, Mark chapter 1 and verse 7. John the Baptist said, And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. And so John the Baptist is saying, you know, if Jesus has a hard day of work and he comes home and sits down in his chair and uh, needs a servant to come and take off his shoes, I'm not even worth, worthy to be that servant. He is so much greater than I am. And in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, It says, Moses indeed was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. And so the author of Hebrews is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that uh, Moses and these other Old Testament prophets, they were servants. But Jesus is the master of the house. And so back in Luke chapter 9 and verse 20, Peter correctly identifies Jesus as the Christ of God. And when we're talking about the Christ, that's a Greek word for the Hebrew word Mashiach, Messiah, the anointed one, the one that is chosen by God to take away the sin of the world. Jesus was God the Son, and he became man in order to reconcile mankind with God. And that's why we celebrate his resurrection more than any other resurrection that has ever taken place. And now Pastor Cameron's going to come and tell us what Jesus needed to do in order to reconcile us unto himself. And what a beautiful picture that is. Um, in these verses, 18 through, through 20, we see this picture of this conversation this take place, that takes place with him and his disciples, and, and they've pulled away from the crowds a little bit. Um, and it's Jesus declaring that he is who he says he is. And that's an incredibly powerful statement. One of the things that we talk a lot about in student ministry, that our, that our faith comes from believing that Jesus is who he says he is. But it also comes with believing that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And that's where we jump in as the story continues, as this conversation, this encounter continues with Jesus and his disciples. We see him begin to explain what he is there to do, what he has promised to do. So we pick it up in verse 21. It says, but he strictly warned them, instructing them to tell this to no one, saying it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and raised on the third day. As you can imagine, those would be pretty powerful words to hear. Not something that these guys who have spent all this time with Jesus wanted to hear. They didn't want him to leave. They didn't want him to die. They're there. They're, they're, the fellowship that they've grown together, they want to keep that. 
And while Peter was directly correct, right on with his answer that he was God's Messiah, the next moment he, he got a, uh, a little emotional. In the, in the parallel passage in Matthew, it says, uh, Peter took him aside and re- began to rebuke him, which is kind of a, uh, an interesting point there. He says, oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Peter's heart there was to protect Jesus. He didn't want him to, to suffer. He didn't want him to be hated by the other people in that community. He wanted him people to see him for how he saw him. But Jesus, of course, in all of his wisdom, he says, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. And right there gets to the very core of why Jesus is here. While 18 through 20 talk about who Jesus is, the next few verses talk about what Jesus is there to do. God's redemption story throughout history comes to a point with the resurrection, with the cross and the resurrection. This was God's plan all along. Nothing was going to thwart his redemption plan of his people. And I think sometimes we can look at these verses and say, well, of course, yes, this absolutely had to happen. This, we, we know this had to happen. We know that he had to go to the cross. We know that he had to, to die and, and be raised on the third day. We know this. But I think sometimes it can be hard to, to understand because we're looking at it from the other side of the resurrection. The men sitting around Jesus in this conversation are probably a little afraid, wondering what it is that's going to happen to Jesus. What is it going to happen to them if Jesus were to go away? But Jesus was not going to let his plan be thwarted. Now, the past couple months into the year in our middle school ministry, we've been talking a lot about God's redemption story. And we've been looking at from the beginning of Genesis and we're all the way in, into, into Leviticus right now. And we've been talking about God's promises. Um, this would be the frame of reference that these men sitting around uh, the conversation with Jesus would have. They would know their story. They would know their history of their faith. They would know the stories of how God has continued to to show up and be a promise keeper and be a provider and show his power. Um, In Genesis, they would know God's covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that he'd promised them land, that he'd promised that their offspring would be numerous, and he promised them that their offspring would be a blessing to all the nations. In Exodus chapter 3, as Moses has, has left Egypt, has been fleeing Egypt, God meets Moses at a burning bush and says, I have heard the cries of my people, and I'm here to rescue them. He was not going to leave them in slavery in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 6, God reminds Moses of the covenant that he has with his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying, go tell the Israelites in Egypt this. Don't Go tell them that I haven't forgot the promise that I made them, that I would deliver them, that I would bring them to a good land, a land specifically for them. Last week, Pastor Tom talked about the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. The idea that God would, would protect his people in the midst of things going around him, going around them that were, that were, that were scary, that, that people were dying. The world was not as they thought it would be, but God was protecting them through the Passover. As he's led them out of Egypt, he spreads the Red Sea for them so they can walk across on dry land. As they continue in the desert, the Israelites grumble and complain, yet each and every moment God meets them where they are and provides what they need. God desires to be with his people. God desires to give his people what they need. And then it continues in Exodus. 
where God instructs them to build a tabernacle, a place where God's glory could dwell with them. That he could be with his people because he loved them and he cared about them and he wanted nothing to separate him from them. So he instructed them to build a tabernacle and it was, man, it was a lot of uh, details that went into that. And then in Leviticus 16, God establishes the Day of Atonement. Now, we, we talked about this with our middle school ministry. Uh, and one of the activities that we did was this idea of, hey, I told them, I want you to read all through Leviticus 16. And I want you to, to, to make a note of everything that God has asked his people to do to make atonement for their sin. And we took about 15, 20 minutes to do this, and we came up with a very long list. We had a lot of things having to deal with sacrifices and all of what would take place that the people would have sacrifices to make, that there, were, there was a loss because of the, the consequences of sin. And some of the, 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 the comments that our students made was that this is a lot. This was a lot of work. This seemed like a big deal. God must really care about sin. God must really think it's a big deal for all of this have to take place for them to have one day a year where they can be cleansed of their sin. And it is a big deal. God does care about sin. He wants to take that sin from us so that he can have a right relationship with us again. And that is where we jump back into Luke chapter 9. He said he strictly warned them, instructed them to tell no one, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Nothing was going to thwart God's plan. God is a promise keeper. He always was, and he always, has, always will be. God loves and cares deeply about his children, so much so that he would send his only son, Jesus, to be Emmanuel, to be God with us, so that we could have a right relationship with God again. He wants to be with his people. He wants to remove the veil. He wants to create a way so that we can have that relationship again. God provides a way for us to be reconciled. Absolutely nothing would thwart God's plan of redemption for his people. God's plan of redemption for his people is one that we can gather from the text the disciples didn't quite understand, at least not in its fullness. See, they thought of a Messiah, a Mashiach, coming and setting up a rule and a reign. They, they, they thought of the overthrow of a political leader. But Jesus' message was very different than what they were initially expecting. And we find that in these next verses. Luke 9, verse 23 says, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world, and yet he loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and that of the Father and the holy angels. A couple of things about this passage. Uh, the, the first is, is a, a lot of times we want to take part of Jesus' message, but we don't want to take part of all of Jesus' message. There are some times in our life where like, we like that, we like that, we like that, but I don't know about that Jesus. You know, P Peter was very, uh, very excited to proclaim Jesus as king and be a part of his movement, uh, but, but he didn't always want what Jesus knew had to happen 
for that kingship to come to its fullness. For, for that rule and that reign to be decided upon the act of Jesus dying and rising again for the sins of the world. That was something Peter struggled with. Uh, And it may not be that for us, but it may be other things for us. The the, the idea or the word I want to focus in on just for a moment is this word, follow. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, you know, if anyone would come move towards me or have a desire to follow me and be in a relationship with me, he he says, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. Now this word follow is such an interesting word because this word follow is used exclusively to describe a disciple of Jesus. It's this rabbi and um, student, Talmudim is the, is the Hebrew word there, uh, this rabbi Talmudim a relationship of, of you would live your life with a rabbi. You would want to know, most of all, how does he understand the scripture? And based upon his understanding, which you deemed as more authoritative than other rabbis, um, you would want to engage into a relationship with this rabbi because you wanted to live out that scripture just like your rabbi has taught you. And so this idea of the word follow, is it, it, it's a present uh, verb. It, it, it's, a, it's an active verb. It's actually an imperative verb. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, you have to follow. Like, there's no, there's no negotiation here. You have to follow. Your life has to be about what does it mean to be a disciple of your teacher, Jesus. The idea behind this word follow is that you are absolutely all in, nothing else. Now, I was thinking about this idea of all in the other day, and this picture came to my mind, a literal picture. Let me show it to you. Um, This picture is of my eldest son, Ephraim, several years ago when we were at a hotel, and he was learning how to swim. And one of the things that you do, at least that we did with kids, is kind of getting them comfortable to go in the water. And there's many ways you can do that. I remember as a kid... My grandpa would take me from the east side of the pool to the west side of the pool. And I was like pretty young. So he'd hold me during this time. As maturity happens, there comes a point in time where you just have to jump in. Jesus' call here for his disciples is not to sit on the side of the water, not to have your legs partway in, not to ease in slowly. It's to jump. It's to go. All you have. And why can we do that? We can do that because at the other end of our jump, God is there. We have a loving Heavenly Father who longs to meet us where we are, who longs to teach us what it means to be His disciples, and who wants us to jump. He wants us to follow Him. No turning back, all in. And that's the idea behind this word, um, follow, because this word follow has this idea of relationship to it. It doesn't have a, just a blind follow. It has a, Jesus invites us into a relationship with him. He, he wants to, he wants to talk with us. He wants to speak to us through his word. He wants us to engage with him in prayer. He wants to day by day by day, teach us what it means in that moment to follow him. I love it. How it says in the text here, uh, for, um, for uh, yeah, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. All right, the, the, this daily um, engagement of relationship with God is what he wants because he knows through that relationship we learn to jump each day and trust that God is there because he is. See, you can only um, jump into this experience though when you understand what Christ has done for you. 
when you understand that he he died and he rose again and because of that you 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 can you can jump you can jump but jumping means some things it means too that Jesus points out in this text he says if if you want to follow you have to deny yourself and you have to take up your cross daily now Denying yourself is pretty self-explanatory. It means that I become less. It means that Jesus becomes more. And Jesus' plans and purposes and desires for my life become that which drives every single thing I do. This idea behind taking up the cross doesn't necessarily mean that you pick up your own execution stake. At least not literally. What it means is that you surrender or you submit your priorities or you yield your priorities for His. See, we all have different things that we have left to follow Jesus. I don't know what they are for you. What were some of the things, if you're a follower of Jesus, what are some of the things that you left to follow Jesus? Maybe it was career aspirations that just drove you and drove you and drove you and that was all you cared about. Maybe it was um, maybe it was a, a past of sin or a past of addiction or a past of struggle that you've left and you've said I've turned from that and I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to be driven by this thing and that thing and this thing. What was it for you? Maybe maybe you're not a follower of Jesus right now and, and there's something in your life that is between you and you say, but if I follow Jesus, it means I must give up this. And that's exactly Jesus' point because there's only one way to follow and that's to go all in. To jump. To go into the water and to engage in relationship with God every day. So these two requirements in order to follow Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him daily. Jesus' teaching here is completely countercultural. You see, we live, we live in a culture that strives for perfect houses, that strives for no health complications, that desires more money and security in the bank. And friends, if you think I'm just talking to you, I'm talking to me as well. Our lives become driven by how are we going to survive? How are we going to get this? And how are we going to get that? And the simple answer that Jesus wants to leave with us is, your desire should be for me. Your desire should be to know me. Your desire should be to be in relationship with me because as you are in relationship with me through the study of the scripture, through praying to God who hears our prayers, through those ways, we see what God wants for us. We see how God might direct our paths this week to go out of our way, to be generous in a different way, to invest our lives in a different way so that his kingdom would be expanded more and more. It it might be going and giving a practical need. It might be going and sharing a message of encouragement to someone who is down. It might be getting out of your own headspace and saying, how can I serve my family better today? See, foundational to following Jesus is denying yourself and submitting to God, taking up your cross and following him daily. What's your morning been like this morning? What's your day been like? What's your week been like? This is a new moment. This is a fresh moment. Tomorrow will be another one where we, where we can say, God, I follow you. 
God, I want to be in relationship with you. And God, thank you that by your grace and by your redemptive initiative in my life, I can know that I am saved from the, from the guilt and the penalty of sin and death. But not only that, God, I can walk with you daily. God, give me wisdom for today. Lord, help me. You can make this prayer. Lord, help me to not prefer myself. Help me to prefer you. And in doing so, I end up loving others as you have called me to love you. Our, our, um, our foremost identity, our greatest identity is measured by this, by how God sees us. And when he sees us, we've come to faith in him. He sees us as his redeemed children. And as Jesus teaches in the disciples' prayer, God is a gracious Papa, an Abba. He, he longs to meet the needs of of his children. I was thinking this week, it's very possible to gain the whole world, as Jesus says, and to forfeit the loss of your soul. Um, I I didn't know who who it was, but the most uh, wealthy person in the world, according to Google, which we'll assume is true, uh, is Jeff Bezos. Now, I know nothing of Jeff Bezos' uh, spiritual condition, and if you don't know who Jeff Bezos is, that's perfectly okay. You may have heard of this small company, though, Amazon. <laughs> Jeff Bezos is the founder of Amazon, and he's worth $140 billion. That's, that's billion with a B, everyone. I, my mind can't even fathom those kinds of numbers. He's worth $140 billion. Uh, it's safe to say that he could probably buy anything he wants in the world for the most part. But Jesus says something here that's unique to his kingdom. What is, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world yet loses or forfeits himself? See, you can lose and I can lose. We can forfeit ourselves because we seek after all the things of this world that bring no joy, that bring no fulfillment, that bring no purpose to our lives. We might think in the midst of that that they do, but here is the why behind the resurrection. The resurrection matters for our lives for many reasons, but one of the significant reasons is that we want meaning, significance, and security in this world, and there's only one way to get that. And it's not just about eternity, although it is about eternity. It's also about the here and the now. Jesus knows that as we follow him, we actually find true joy, we find true meaning, and we find true significance for our lives. There's this song um, that's been uh, around for some years. And in the words are very simple. They go, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. If you were to look at your life today and you were to say, God, God, here's my life. God, w- would you reveal to me by your spirit where I am with this? Are you following Jesus? Are, are you all in? Are you trusting in his goodness and his grace? Because friends, we can't merit this. Sometimes we think that if we're good enough, sometimes if we think if we're smart enough, or sometimes we think if we have enough stuff in our lives, we can get to where we want to go. Jesus' message is not um, do better. It's not um, come, come with everything neat and tidy. It's come with your rags because I want to adopt you into my family and I want you to be my child through faith. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send himself into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came in his first coming to save us. Jesus will come again and he will judge all the wickedness and all the sin around us. But friends, you may not have another moment. God does not promise us future. He promises us right now. And Jesus says, will you follow me? Will you come? Will you be my disciple? And friends, we do that by jumping all in and saying, God, I trust you. God, I recognize that you died and you rose again for my sin. And I believe in that. And Lord, I'm jumping. I'm jumping into the arms, the arms that once spread themselves out on Calvary so that I could find life. The arms that I know will catch me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the chance that we have to gather, even remotely, to be reminded of your finished work upon the cross. Lord, I thank you so much that we can open your word and that it can teach us and it can guide us for all things that pertain and that matter for life in godliness. And now, God, as we go about our day and we celebrate the resurrection, may our lives be marked by, by those that follow you. And, and Lord, there's many times in which we fail to follow you perfectly. And in those moments, God, I pray that your spirit would lead and guide us to what is right and to what is true. That you would lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And God, that you would remind us that, that you give us grace and you give us the presence of your spirit, not just as a, a reminder of our, of our salvation, but you give the Holy Spirit to us so that we might learn what it means to follow you and so that we might have a desire to follow you and so that we might grow in a relationship with you and so that you might give us um, power to be obedient to your teaching today. Thank you, God, for loving us even when we were unlovable. Thank you, God, for meeting us in the deepest parts of our life. We bless you and we give you all honor and praise because, Lord, you are worthy of it. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, our Redeemer, and the one who is risen, we say, Amen. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, we'd love to be able to encourage you. We'd love to be able to pray for you. We'd love to be able to help you wherever you're at. And so if there's any way that we can do that, please feel free to contact us through, um, through the numbers I gave earlier, or you can find us on our website. If there's any... Um, practical need that you have. I know that those will kind of continue to increase over the next several days, weeks, and months. And if there's any way we can help you uh, getting groceries, um, other ways, please let us know. We, we want to serve you with the love of Christ. And so uh, as we begin to uh, celebrate or continue to celebrate the resurrection this day, let's make this day about what Jesus has done for us. So let's remember, let's rejoice after we're done here, turn on the Spotify playlist we have on our website or some music you love that points your heart and your mind to the resurrection because, friends, He is risen. He is risen indeed. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance towards you and give you His shalom, His peace, His wholeness this day wherever you find yourself. For His glory, we pray. Amen. Blessings to you. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. 
If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.